Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Everybody, welcome, welcome. New series, Pray First, first day of a new year. And here you are in church. I salute you. Congratulations. Awesome. Now, how many of you, you want this year to be the best year of your life up until now? All right. Now, that is literally, this isn't going to seem like, but this is literally what we're going to talk about. Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All the other stuff will work out. If you and I will put God first, if we have our best year spiritually this year, it will be your best year in every way. Right? And that is what we're going to be talking about doing. Right? Putting first the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. You're going to go, ah, take the wall down. Okay. And I'm going to explain what we're going to do. You're going to love this. All right. But as a church, we're going to have 21 days of prayer and fasting. And uh, fasting literally, it, it's, it's all over the Bible. Right. And, and, and it is misnamed because it should be called a slowing. Because when you're fasting, Everything goes slow. It does not go fast, all right? It is not like fast food. It's like no food and it's slow, all right? But Jesus, as he's preaching the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, when you fast. Jesus expected us to fast. He said, when I'm gone, he said, my disciples, my followers, not just those 12, but he says, my followers will fast. Something that most of us don't know from church history that for the first 1,500 years of Christianity, Christians were expected and did fast every Tuesday and every Thursday. Right? And around the year 1,500, it began to, began to slack off. However, when John Wesley was uh, ministering, he began what we refer to today as, as the Methodist denomination, the Wesleyan denomination. You could not be an ordained minister with the Wesleys unless you signed a covenant that you would fast every Tuesday and every Thursday. Now, when I was growing up, we saw the very end of this, all right? Uh, and where, where we lived, we had some good Catholics, all right? And some of you are going to remember, this is 50 years ago, all right? Uh, they would not eat meat on Friday. They would eat fish. And that was literally like the end of fasting in Christianity. It was a little bit around Lent where people would put something aside, but it was like the end of fasting in Christianity. And it should not be so, right? And I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit about why, and, and then we're gonna talk about some other stuff, all right? But Jesus gave us a great example. When Jesus was going to begin his ministry, the Bible says that he went into the desert and he fasted for 40 days, right? Now, here's, what, here, here's how it starts. It says that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He returned from the Jordan. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Right? So he's filled with the Spirit. After those 40 days of fasting, it says Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. He went in full of, full of the Spirit, but when he came out after 40 days of fasting, he came out full of the power of the Spirit. What was the difference? The difference was that time of fasting and seeking God. Now, it's in Acts chapter 13. It begins and it says that there are certain prophets and teachers in Antioch and the list begins with Barnabas. It ends with Saul. 
And it says, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Barnabas and Paul to the work to which I've called them. Right? Now, when did the Holy Spirit say something? When they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Now, there's an entire chapter in our Bible, in Isaiah 58, that's dedicated to the subject of fasting. Right? And it talks about one of the rewards of fasting. And it says, you will be guided continually. How many of you could use some guidance? You, you, you could use a word from God on what to do and not to do. You'll be guided continually. Right? So it's one of the rewards for fasting. In Joel, God said, turn to me with all your heart with fasting. In Psalms 35, David said, I will humble myself with fasting. Now, the, the Bible tells us in the New Testament to humble yourself before the Lord. You know, but how do you do that? Do you go humble, 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 humble? How do you humble yourself? The Bible way to humble yourself is with fasting, with fasting. All right, so that's what David said. Now, when Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration, he's got Peter, James, and John with him, and nine of the disciples are on the bottom of the mountain. There's a multitude of people, and a man comes to the nine disciples that are down on the bottom of the mountain and says, look, my son is an epileptic. You know, please pray for him, help him, deliver him. And they try, and they cannot. And then when Jesus comes down, the man runs to Jesus and said, look, I brought my son. Your disciples couldn't help. Can you do anything? And Jesus delivers the boy, and the disciples come and say, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus said, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. There are certain blessings, breakthroughs, healings, deliverances that the only way you ever get there is with prayer and fasting. You need both of them. Now, it, 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 fasting alone is never the goal. If all you do is fast, it's a bad diet. Try Jenny Craig, much more fun, right? But when you fast, you're saying no to something, but you're saying yes to something else. You're saying no to food, but you take that time and you take your heart and you turn it towards God, right? And you're, you're, you're ministering to the Lord, you're praying, you're, you're studying the Bible, you are putting first the kingdom of God, you're seeking the Lord. Right? Now in Isaiah 58, again, it's that chapter that's all about fasting. It says, isn't this the fast that I've chosen? Now listen, it's gonna talk about some of the benefits. What happens when you fast? It says, to loose the bonds of wickedness. You're, you've got an addiction, you have not been able to break that addiction. The Bible says fasting looses the bonds of wickedness. It says it undoes the heavy burden. It lets the oppressed go free and breaks every yoke, every bit of bondage. There are none that cannot be broken with prayer and fasting, all right? Jesus said, when you fast, he said, don't do it to be before men. He said, but do it before your father who is in heaven and he sees what you do in secret and he will reward you openly. In other words, there, is, there are rewards that come when you fast. And again, Isaiah 58 mentions a bunch of those rewards. Now, to me, the, 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 the scripture that has motivated me towards fasting more than any other is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. And uh, I want to read it to you, and, and maybe this will apply to you as well. 
But the apostle Paul writes, and he says, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Now look at me. He says, my body, I bring it. So your body is it. Your body is not you. Your body is the house that your spirit, the real you lives in. You are a spirit and you have a mind and you live inside of a body. Now your body, you, you need to take care of it. Uh, we like to say it like this. Your body is your earth suit. If you want to go to outer space, you need a space suit. You don't have one. You can't stay. You're dead. Right? On earth, you need an earth suit. It's your body. So take good care of it. When you wear it out, you have to leave. You can't stay on earth without one. Nobody's haunting any houses. All right. So he says, I, my spirit, I discipline my body. Now, why? Because your body wants to run your life. Trust me, your body wants to run your life. Right? Now, now I'm going to say a little, 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 little something about, about myself here. Um, my, my son and son-in-law have turned me into a coffee snob. Right? Uh, they, 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 uh, I, like almost every morning I go over to my son Samuel's house for coffee. Right now, just not. This isn't just like coffee. This is like specialty coffee. I mean, they gotta buy their 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 their, their beans from Madcap or somebody, and then they gotta grind them themselves. And then they look, and then it's gotta have art. Right? Can you see the art there? And and then sometimes they'll do a heart, or they'll do a swan, or they'll do a flower, and and I mean, and, and then they sweeten it with a little maple syrup, and it's like, oh, right now. Tomorrow morning, my body is going to say coffee. And my spirit is going to say, shut up. <laughs> my, my spirit is going to take dominion over my body. Listen, if you, 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 if, if you listen to your body, you, you will be crazy. You say, I'm a Christian. Your spirit's a Christian. Your body is a heathen. Right? Your body is a heathen. So the Christian on the inside needs to control the heathen on the outside. You see, your body will get saved when Jesus comes back, not before. All right? So the real you needs to discipline and take dominion and control over your body. And Paul said, listen to this. He said, at least when I preach to others, I could become disqualified. He said, if I let my body run my life? He said, I would be disqualified. Right? He said, my body wants to do stuff that my body should. Listen, if I listen to my body, I would not be your pastor. You understand that? Your, your body is absolutely, totally nuts. And that's what Paul said. Now, Paul wrote almost half of the New Testament. He saw Jesus. He went to heaven and came back and he had problems with his body. David was God's best man. He had problems with his body. Solomon was God's smartest man, wisest man. He had problems with his body. Samson was God's strongest man. He had problems with his body. Now, I just want to ask you, how many of you think that just maybe you might have some problems with yours? I think everybody who's honest is saying, yep, yep, that's me. I relate to that. So what we need to do is we need to do what what Paul said, he says, you need to discipline that body and you need to make it obey you. 
You see, when you say no to your body, here's what happens. Your spirit rises up into a place of authority in your life. And not only that, listen, you will hear God so much clearer because when your body is running your life, you do not hear what the spirit of God is saying to your spirit. He doesn't talk to your body. He doesn't talk to your head. God is a spirit. All right. And God communicates with us spirit to spirit. And so often we have got our mind, we have got our body running our life, and we are literally missing what the spirit of God is speaking to us. Spirit to spirit. Now, in Isaiah 58 again, it's talking about fasting. And, and, it, and really what we have here is we have part of sanctification. Now, sanctification is a theological word, which simply means to be set apart for something, right? But sanctification is like Siamese twins. There's two sides to sanctification. And most Christians only understand one side of sanctification, right? Now, we are set apart from the world, right? You're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, right? Our life is to be different in fact, it says it this way. This is the will of God in Thessalonians. It says, this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. How many of you know sexual immorality is like king in our culture? All right. But the Bible says you're sanctified. You're set apart from that. This is the will of God for you. So we're set apart from that. But then listen, we are set apart to something else. The Bible says you are saved to do good works. Good works don't save you, but once you're saved, you are to do what? Good works. In Ephesians 2 and 10, it says that God has prepared good works for you to do. And he's prepared paths ahead of time for you to take, right? So, so we're, we're, we're sanctified apart from the world, but we're sanctified or set apart to do good works. Now, getting to back to Isaiah 58, this is verse 7. It's talking about your fasting. It says, this is the day, this is the fast that I've chosen. It says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry that you bring to your house the poor and those who are cast out and when you see the naked to cover them, to hide yourself. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. So when you're fasting, you're seeking God, but God begins to deal with you about stuff, right? First thing he wants to do with you, he wants you to have compassion on people that are less fortunate than you are. See, how many of you know our default mode is me, 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 mine? That's your default mode, right? But what, what's going to happen when you fast, God says, I want you to focus on helping people that are less fortunate, people that are in need, people that are destitute. I remember when we were living in Mexico, and Jeannie and I had our neighbor lived in a cornstalk house. So we had our crock pot. We put a roast in the crock pot and we put potatoes and carrots and onions in the crock pot, cooked the meal, we fasted, we took it to our neighbors. They thought they went to heaven, all right? Now, you probably don't have a neighbor that lives in a cornstalk house, but you know a single mother who has need. You know somebody who is really struggling financially, or if you don't, you can just take that envelope and put, put uh, help the poor on it, put it in, in, in the offering plate as it comes by. And when 
Our, our deacons will make sure that it gets used by somebody who needs it. Or you can send an offering to the rescue mission downtown to Mel Trotter and they'll make sure that it's used. But it is important that when you seek God, that you do something for those that are less fortunate, those that are in need. You need to do something. God says, I want you to get your focus off yourself and get it on helping people, doing the good works that you were called or set apart to do. And then he, then he goes on. And this, this, I did not understand this part for a long time, all right? It, it says, and don't hide yourself from your own flesh. And I thought, what does that mean? Does that mean like get in front of the mirror? Or what does that mean? I don't, what, what does it mean? I'm gonna tell you what this means. How many ever been to a family reunion and there was somebody there and you wish they weren't there. Okay, that's what it's talking about, all right? That's what it's talking about. It's saying, look, you should not have unforgiveness and strife and resentment and contention with people in your family. And you need to go to them and you need to humble yourself. And as much as it relies on you, you do whatever you can to make that thing right. Don't hide yourself. There's people that you, 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 you literally, you don't want to see them and you, you do whatever you can not to see them. That says, don't do that. He says, you resolve that issue. And what's God doing? When we're fasting, God begins to work on us. Fasting doesn't change God. God is the same before you fast, while you fast, after you fast. But what fasting does, it gets us where we can hear the spirit of God easier and where he's going to begin to work on us. All right. So again, in Isaiah 58 and all through the Bible, all right, a normal fast is a 24 hour period of time where you do not eat food, but you drink water. Right? That's a normal fast. It says, isn't this the day, the day? And typically what the Jewish people would do is they would eat right before sunset and then they wouldn't eat until after the next day sunset. It would be a 24 hour period of time that they would fast. And that's a normal fast, a 24 hour period of time where you do not partake of any food, just water. Now you might have health issues or you may say, Ooh, that's a little too much for me. All right. If you've got health issues, please see a doctor, consult with them. But there's other things that, that you can do as well. Now we're asking everybody to participate in some way. And maybe you can do a day a week of a full fast. Maybe I can't do that. Maybe you can miss a meal a couple times a week. Skip that meal. Spend that time in prayer. Spend that time reading your Bible, seeking God. And then there's another type of fast in the Bible that typically is called a Daniel fast. It's in Daniel chapter 10. Daniel's about 80 years old. And he's praying. And he's praying for, for, for a revelation. And he takes 21 days. And he said, during those days, he said, I ate no pleasant bread. He had no sugar, no bread, no wine. He said, I had no meat during that time. So basically what he did, it, he would had a no sugar, just eat water, no meat diet. And he ate fruit, vegetables, dairy, nuts, eggs. And so he can get plenty of protein. But during that time, he said, I saw, I saw God. And at the end, the angel Gabriel shows up with the answer. It's called a Daniel fast where you knock certain things out of your diet like coffee. All right. <laughs> All right. So, so there's, there's, there's a way for everybody to participate. 
right? You can do days, you can skip meals, you can do the Daniel fast, you can give up certain things for this period of time, but do that and seek God during that time. Now, I want to talk to you about the other portion of this, the prayer portion, because it's prayer and fasting, not just fasting. And I want to use a little bit of an unusual scripture for this. I want to go to Ezekiel chapter 43, verses 12 and 13. I want you to listen and and please do not disconnect. I promise you this is going to get good. All right. This is the law of the temple. The whole area surrounding the temple mount is the most holy. Behold, this is the law of the temple. These are the measurements of the altar in cubics. The cubit is a cubit and a hand's breadth. The cubit is a cubit and a hand's breadth. This is the law of the temple. Now, when construction was done, their yardstick was different than yards or their foot was different than theirs. They used the cubit, right? Now, the cubit is six hand breaths. That's what it is, right? And in fact, you take it right here from the cradle in your arm. In fact, everybody, do, go like this, go like that, everybody. We're gonna see how normal you are. And you put that in the cradle of your arm and you go out six times. And either you have short arms or big hands if you go over six, right? That will be normally to the end of your figure is about a cubit. But when they did the temple, it was different. When they measured in the temple, they measured the cubit, the sixth, but the temple cubit had a seventh hand's breadth, right? Now you remember the number of man is the number six, but the divine number, the number of perfection, God's number is the number seven. And I want to remind you that 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19 says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in the construction of the temple, it wasn't just a normal cubit of six hand breaths, but there was a seventh, all right? There was a seventh one. Now, in the last century, Knowledge has just greatly increased. In fact, the the, the prophet Daniel said that in the last days, one of his prophecies was that knowledge would greatly increase. From the time of Christ until the year 1500, knowledge doubled. In the next 250 years to 1750, knowledge doubled again. By the year 1900, they said that knowledge was doubling every 100 years. By the year 1950, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. And what we pulled off the internet yesterday was that now overall human knowledge is doubling every 13 months, all right? Now you're created in the image of God, all right? And you're to use your knowledge and you're to use your strength. But this is what Jesus said. He said, without me, you can do Nothing. Now, you can do nothing of eternal consequence, nothing that's going to affect eternity without him, right? You can do some things without him, but you can't do anything of eternal consequence without him. In the temple, the law of the temple, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, is that measurements, accomplishments 
are not just six hand breaths, but they're six hand breaths plus one. There is a seventh hand and that's God's hand. See, we need to have God's hand on what we do. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. And unless the Lord keeps the city, the watchmen, they stay awake in vain. What this scripture is really telling us is that we cannot lean on the flesh and think that we're going to do anything of any eternal consequence. You're not talented enough. You're not gifted enough. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. God will use your efforts, your work, your labor, your knowledge, and then he'll put his hand over it. He adds his hand. I don't know if you know this, but to raise a teenager in the 21st century, you need the seventh hand. To have a great marriage in this 21st century, you need the seventh hand. In your school and your study, you need the seventh hand. Right. Your business needs the seventh hand. God's hand. When God's hands on your hand, giants get slain. Deliverances manifest when God's hand is on your hand. Success comes when God's hand is on your hand. Walls fall when God's hand is on your hand. One think about this. The Antichrist, his number is six, six, six. It's just man, man, man. All right. But when the seventh hand shows up, sinners become saints. You are over your head and don't know what to do. But when the seventh hand shows up, it all works out. You don't have what you need to pay your bills. But the seventh hand shows up and suddenly the money that you need comes from even an unexpected source. There was a song that we sang when I was growing up. It said, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you in everything that we do. If we want it to have eternal significance, eternal consequences, we need God every hour of every day. Right? The, the, Jesus has, has actually arisen from the dead and, and two of the disciples who didn't know anything about it are on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus joins them and talks with them and they don't recognize him. They're not expecting Jesus to be risen. And after he leaves and they realize who he was, this is what they said. They said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us? Well, he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. You know, if you read your Bible and all that you've got is your skill and your understanding, it's pretty dead. But when the seventh hand comes on you and you start reading your Bible, your heart burns. It comes alive. God is speaking to you. We need the seventh hand in our marriages. We need the seventh hand in our school. We need the seventh hand with our teenagers, with our friendships. We need the seventh hand for bondages to be broken, for businesses to be blessed. Now, let me just tell you a little story as I'm going to close with this. Elijah is one of the big three of the Old Testament. There's Abraham, Moses, Elijah. Abraham, Moses, Elijah. Now, Elijah's a prophet and God said to him, go to the king and say, there'll be no rain, no dew these years until I say so. So he goes and tells the king and the king thing, this guy's a flake and he walks out. But that week there's no rain, no, no dew that month, no rain, no dew that season, no rain, no dew that year, no rain, no dew. They try to find him. They can't find him. And the God had told him, go hide by the brook cherub. 
He said, and I've commanded a raven there to feed you, to bring you food every morning, every night. They're going to bring you bread and they're going to bring you meat. I always just figured it's a whopper. Right? All he needed was ketchup and he'd have been like taken care of. Right? But the brook dries up. Right? And, and, and let me just say something here. Sometimes when God uses something in our life, we think that's the only thing God's ever going to do. But sometimes what God used to do isn't what he wants to do in the future. And that thing that used to be for us dries up. And so God said, I've told a widow in Seraphath to take care of you. So he goes to Seraphath and he gets there and sure enough, there's a widow. She's gathering some sticks and he says to her, hey, would you give me some water? And as she's going, he says, and by the way, please just bring me a little cake to eat. And she says, as the Lord your God lives, she says, I only have a little bit of oil in the bottom of a cruise and a little bit of flour, a handful in a bin. I'm going to make a cake for me and for my son. We're going to eat him and we're going to die. And he says, fear not. Go and do as I've said, because this is what the Lord says. That cruise will keep pouring and that bin will have flour until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. And the Bible says she went and did as he said, and he ate and she ate and her son ate many days until the rain came. Well, finally, God said to the prophet, go show yourself to this king and tell him we're having a contest. He says, we're going to Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal are going to build an altar, put a sacrifice on and pray for fire. You're going to build an altar, put a sacrifice on and pray for fire. And the God who answers by fire, he's the Lord. So they all assemble. Finally, the 450 prophets of Baal after six or seven hours quit and he prays and instantly fire falls from heaven. They grab those false prophets. They slayed the false prophets, but there's still a drought. There's still been no rain and no dew for three and a half years. And the, the Bible says that he went to the top of Mount Carmel and he cast himself down on the earth and he put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, Go now and look towards the sea. And he went and he looked and he said, there's nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go and tell Ahab, prepare your chariot and get down because that rain's coming. And it says, in the meantime, the heavens became black with clouds and wind and there's lightning and rain starts coming and there is an absolute deluge of rain. The seventh time, the seventh hand showed up. And this is what I want to say to you today. When that rain came, the famine was broken. The, the, literally, the, the bondage of Baal worship was broken. There was victory over that false God, but it was prayer that brought the seventh hand. And if you will pray and you will not quit, the seventh hand will come in your family. The seventh hand will come in your marriage. It'll come on your kids. It'll come on your business. That depression and hopelessness will be broken if you will pray and pray and pray and you will not quit you will see the seventh hand. It may start small, but when that seventh hand shows up, the supernatural power of God shows up, lives change, marriages change, kids change, everything changes when the seventh hand shows up. Hey, 
Would you bow your heads for just a moment? You're here and you're not right with God. You're away from the Lord or you do not know where you stand with God. I want you to listen. This is what the Bible says. It says, we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. You are supposed to know that you're forgiven. Know that you're right with God. Know that you are on your way to heaven. I've asked many people, are you, are you a Christian? And they say, I hope so. I'm trying to be. You don't know. You're not where you should be with God. You see, the Bible says you need to know you're right with God. Right? And in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, I want you to lift that hand. And if you don't know, we're going to pray. And you're going to leave this place knowing that you're forgiven, that you're right with God, that you're in that place to pray for the seventh hand to come into your family and your marriage and to your life and to bring the deliverance that you need. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. All of your efforts are not enough. All of my efforts are not enough. We need Jesus. We need that seventh hand. So I want you to get ready. When I say three, as you lift your hand, the first thing you're saying is, I know that I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. And I know Jesus is the only Savior. I'm coming him, to Him to be saved and to be forgiven. One, as you lift your hand, you're saying, today I'm giving Him all my heart, all of my life holding nothing back. Two, to get ready. You lift that hand. You're saying to God, today by faith, Jesus is coming into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. I'm going to be forgiven. My past is going to be gone. He's going to make me new on the inside, a part of your family on my way to heaven. Three, lift it up. Pray with me. I'm not right. I'm not right, but I want to get right. Thank you. I see that hand, that hand. Are there others up in the balcony, including me, Pastor? Not where it should be. Thank you. God bless you, sir. And God bless you, sir. God bless you, sir. Others? Right here. Thank you. God bless you. God bless. All right. And everybody, would you please take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven. And let's pray together with those that just lifted their hand. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart, all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. And I thank you that you have heard my prayer, that your blood washed me from my sin, that I'm forgiven, that my past is gone, that you make me new on the inside, a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.